0: Welcome to Community Convos, a podcast and radio program from LCC Connect with conversations about what's happening in Lansing and around mid-Michigan. And welcome once again to The Convo. Joining me in the studio today is Heather Mahano, Art Festival and Art Initiatives Coordinator for the City of East Lansing. How you doing?
1: I'm doing great.
0: Very good. And I I am so glad you could join me today. You came in to talk a little bit about the East Lansing Art Festival, which has always been one of my favorite events. When exactly is it happening this year?
1: It will be on May 20 and 21.
0: May 20 and 21. So how many years has it been going now?
1: This is the 60th year of the festival.
0: 60th year. Now, I know it's kind of moved around from time to time or kind of been repositioned, if you will. Where exactly is it being held this year?
1: Yeah, so it'll have essentially the same footprint as last year. Um, So we'll be downtown East Lansing on Elbert Avenue from the entrance to the Elbert Avenue parking ramp. Mm -hmm. And then all the way down to Bailey Street. And then up MAC a little bit, which is the connector kind of space between our festival and the MSU UAB Arts and Crafts Festival.
0: Very cool. So how many artists are you able to fit in that area?
1: We'll have about 150 artists plus performances and demonstrations.
0: Yeah, the performances are always fun to watch. We'll get to that in just a little bit. What exactly have you got for the kids this year?
1: So the East Lansing Public Library will be coming out with some activities. And then our artist demonstration area they typically will have some interactive opportunities for the kids as well.
0: That's awesome. So the MSU Craft Fair is also going on at the same time. Now, instead of putting it on a different day, it sounds like you're collaborating the two events. Is that correct?
1: Yes, we intentionally plan the two events to be at the same time. So MSU uh, University Board, they are the planners and organizers of the festival that's on campus. And then East Lansing is the planners and organizers of the the East Lansing Art Festival, but we really enjoy having one ginormous event that people can come down and spend the whole day or even the whole weekend participating in.
0: Very cool. And I know that East Lansing has made great efforts to increase the areas that parking is available. So is that usually a concern as much as it used to be in the past? Or is it pretty easy to find a spot to park the car?
1: Yeah, so there'll be plenty of parking downtown in our parking ramps. We also will have some specially designated accessible parking in the Bailey surface lot. So that's on the corner of Elbert and Bailey. And then MSU is actually partnering with CATA to have a shuttle from the commuter lots to the um, Grand River sites. So if you don't want to mess with what usually happens, the congestion on Abbott, uh, you can park in the commuter lot at MSU and you can can take the 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 shuttle on up. Mm -hmm. Yep.
0: Yep. Very good. And, you know, these festivals usually pull in um, artists from obviously Michigan. We're going to see that. But are there some some from abroad that we'll see as well?
1: I don't have any abroad for this year's festival in the past. We've had some from Canada, but the farthest artist this year is from California. So definitely nationwide, not worldwide this year, but nationwide. Very
0: cool. And the live music is always a part of it. It really adds to the vibe, the feel of the festival. Who can we expect this year?
1: So we've got a great lineup. I've tried to make it not just music. I've tried to make it a lot of um, different performances. So Mm -hmm. for music, we will have um, Grace Thessian. She's out of Kalamazoo and Electro Company, they kind of have a lot of different sounds and they encourage dancing and so that's fun. Um, But then we also have a magician and we have a ballet performance and we have the MSU School of Theater is doing a theater production both mornings to start off the day. And um, we also have McGeezy Quay, who is our indigenous dancer. She'll be back again this year. Very cool. She's very popular. Yeah. Um, so a little bit of everything.
0: What's what's new this year?
1: Uh, new this year, we actually will at the artist demonstration area, we'll be hosting Jenna Wood and she is a indigenous basket weaver. Mm-hmm. And she also dabbles in um, clothing as well out of indigenous materials. So she uses a lot of black ash, and um, we're really excited to have her. And the East Lansing Arts Commission Cultural Arts Grant is actually what allowed us to to bring that in.
0: It's getting closer, and I know you've probably got a lot of uh, the volunteers filled up, but are you still looking for anybody to assist?
1: Yes, we still need a few volunteers. We have positions all three days from setup to tear down. Um, we especially need help with the tear down end of things on sunday so from about four thirty to 7 on sunday we need some extra help um, with getting the artists out of the festival site safely and then we still have other sites or spots available as well
0: okay and then usually there's a perk or a thank you to becoming a volunteer is there anything for this
1: definitely so yeah. you get a free art festival t-shirt mm-hmm. and access to our um, artist kind of lounge office area mm-hmm. so snacks drinks that kind of thing
0: very cool mm-hmm. and since you mentioned the snacks I got to thinking about it and what about vendors there's always some good food down there at uh, the, the art festival
1: yeah we're really excited to continue our food truck uh, space food court this year um, so we've got some local food trucks that you may recognize with Tante and Uh, potentially picnic but then we also have some other ones with melted so grilled cheese and fire and rice and then we also have the standby staple of melting moments will be there with their ice
0: cream. oh always always (laughs) Uh, again the uh, website is elartfest.com if you want to get more information on any of that Heather Mahano, the art festival and art initiatives coordinator for the city of East Lansing. Thanks so much for coming in and joining me.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: You've been listening to Community Combos, a program from LCC Connect with conversations about what's happening in our community. To listen to this episode on demand, visit us at lccconnect.org or find us on your favorite podcast platform. If you or someone you know would like to be a guest on Community Combos, email us lcc connect at lcc.edu. And thanks for joining the combo. Examining the issues and topics that affect our lives from the local level to the world stage. Listen to the programs of LCC Connect anytime at lccconnect.org.
2: LCC Connect. Voices. Vibes. Vision. The Cesar Chavez Learning Center's Access Program at Lansing Community College creates a community on campus for underrepresented students, providing them with a support network and multiple layers of academic, social, and professional experiences. Access also incorporates workshops and resources that assist in educational and career advancement. To find out more about Access, visit lcc.edu and search Access Program.
3: This is a public service announcement test from TakeMeFishing.org to determine if you need a fishing license and boat registration before heading out on the water. Let's begin. Are you a bear? Do you have a beak? Does your name rhyme with old beagle? Do you dart in front of cars? Here's a tough one. Do you have plumage? Do you rub your body against things to mark them? Do you have webbed feet? No, I mean like a... Were you hatched? Do you have fur? I'm not talking back hair. Does your boat fly south for the winter with the other boats? Regardless of how you answer, you need to be licensed and registered because it helps local conservation efforts protect the very natural resources you enjoy boating and fishing in for generations to come. Do your part at TakeMeFishing.org.
4: Hi, I'm Melissa Kaplan and I host a show called Galaxy Forum on LCC Connect. It's all about the creativity in our classrooms and on campus here at LCC and the connections we have with the community. You can catch Galaxy Forum here on LCC Connect or listen anytime at lccconnect.org.
3: Lansing Community College welcomes transfer students. Transfer students may apply transfer credits towards their LCC degree, certificate, or transfer program. Learn more at lcc.edu slash you belong.
0: LCC. Connect.
5: Voices.
3: Vibes. Vision.
5: You're listening to LCC Alumni Stories, a show dedicated to highlighting the amazing alumni of Lansing Community College. I'm Steve Robinson, president of LCC, and on each episode I have the awesome privilege of getting to know one of our many inspiring alums and hearing about their experiences at and since leaving LCC. The LCC alumni community is expansive and far-reaching. They're an incredibly diverse group of people, representative of all the walks of life, working in hundreds of industries across the country. LCC Alumni Stories shines a bright light on alumni who make positive contributions to their communities and showcases those who overcome obstacles and barriers to achieve academic and personal success. These are their dynamic stories. My guest today is Rick Hamilton, a 1990 graduate of LCC who earned his associate's degree in aviation technology. He's currently the CEO of Blue Planet Software, Rick, it's great to have you on the show. Yeah, Steve, great. It's great to be here. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Thank you so much. And, you know, before we talk about your time here at LCC, your degree and your field have taken you all over the world. I would love to hear about what you do at Blue Planet and your background and experience in
6: aviation. Tell me uh, what you're doing right now. Sure. Right now, uh, Blue Planet Software, we write uh, AI software for all the large carriers around the world. So I think AT&T... Uh, Comcast, all of those kind of network providers around the world, we we, we write software for them that helps them automate their, their networks. Okay, and AI is artificial <coughs> intelligence. Artificial intelligence, right. Right. So, Can Sorry.
5: you tell me a little bit about what this software does for these giant companies?
6: Well, the best way to describe it, it can get a little bit geeky, I guess, is mm-hmm. you know they have very large networks that have a bunch of different domains and segments, and that, that takes a lot of people to run, uh-huh. to configure them, to make sure they're running properly, capacity, throughput, route paths... So we, we write software that gives them intelligent ways to manage that so they can do it machine to machine instead of having people running those networks.
5: Got it. So instead of having real humans doing switching or connecting these systems, you write software That's that right. helps these systems work together.
6: That's exactly right. Okay. For, for example, if, you were, if you're a cable provider, we know that traffic at a certain point of the day is a heck of a lot higher than it is at other points of the day. So we help them shift their networks around in real time so that you get the best experience you can have from from their networks and they don't have to hire people to do that work well and some
5: of those some of those tasks are probably better done by software than people it's not just a function of replacing people but the software knows more and can do it faster probably
6: yeah and it's you know the the heart of machine to machine learning is that a machine talking to a machine can do it better than a a human talking to a machine. So that, that's
5: for sure. I find that fascinating. So Blue Planet, you're um, headquartered in Detroit?
6: No, I just live in Detroit. Our headquarters is actually in Baltimore, Maryland.
5: Okay, okay. so the, the headquarters are in Baltimore, but yep. you're live, you live back here in Michigan. But you haven't always done software, right? You had a career in aviation. Tell me a little bit about this career that took you all over the world.
6: Yeah, I started, uh, well, actually, when I graduated here, I was doing what everybody does. I got all my certifications, and I was a flight instructor. And Got a cargo job in California. I moved to California to fly airplanes mm-hmm. for a living, but uh, we can talk about it later. I actually learned a lot here about computers and computer science. Oh, I
5: can't uh, wait to hear.
6: Yeah, and so my hobby was writing software, and my my profession was flying airplanes. But in the early '90s, you know, flying airplanes was not the most lucrative career in the world. Okay, and um, I don't know. It just happened one day. Hobby became a, a career, and career became a hobby. So that that started. You know this movement around the world. So I lived in. Boy, I was in California for almost ten years. I lived in Hong Kong and Singapore for three. I just came back from Europe. I was there for ten years. So that's mostly been technology related.
5: Those so times. so I'm 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 thinking about the the time period here. So your hobby then hobby of of coding and computer software right be, became so much more marketable and the demand probably went through the roof.
6: Oh, yeah. It was crazy. I mean, I, I did a special project for a small company out there. I had a friend that worked there. He said, can you help us with this problem? I'm like, yeah, mm-hmm. I know this. I know how to do this work. We can talk about that later. It's on a platform called an AS400, which the college here used to run. And I got to spend a bunch of time with. I learned RPG here at LCC. So I said, I know RPG and I know the AS400. I can solve this problem for you. And literally, I did that twice, and at the end of the week, I got a paycheck, and it was more money than I'd made two months flying. So all of a sudden, it's like, whoa, this is this is something very interesting, and I can still fly, and I can make a better living, and it's just the way it went.
5: So that's fascinating to me. It sounds like you learned how to fly in multiple ways here yeah. at LCC, <laughs> right? You know, literally fly, but also fly with your career. That's maybe a great way to pivot back to... The time you studied, did you uh, did you grow up around here? Well, how did you how how did you get to LCC?
6: I did. I grew up just north of here, small little farming town called Fowler, mm-hmm. and um, I, I come from a fairly big family. I have five brothers, and um, you know, access to uh, big universities was a problem financially. Uh-huh. Uh, but but I knew I wanted to fly airplanes, and at that time. LCC had one of the foremost flight schools in the country, in fact. I don't right. know if you remember those days, but it was one of the best flight schools around. Uh, yeah, so I wound up getting a job here and, uh, you know, entering school here. I did a couple courses my last year of high school.
5: So you started the, the on this flight training in aviation while you were in high school yeah. in Fowler, right? And, yeah. but, and obviously the flight program is what attracted you to LCC. Yep. You came here and you eventually earned that associate degree Um so you, you did the flight training, but you also worked here, didn't I, you? I did. Yeah. Tell me about your experience doing that.
6: Yeah, it was great, actually. I um, You know, when I first came to school, figuring out how to pay for everything was a big challenge because, you know, flight school, we had you – know, LCC was still is, but it was very affordable to go to basics classes. Right. But I had to fly airplanes, so the lab fees were, were pretty big. So they I had can to, be, yeah. They, they can be, and I had to work. Uh, so as part of my student aid package, uh, the college offered me a job, and I worked over in uh, a building just across from here, Business Services. Right. Uh, Nineteen At the end of 89, I guess I was a male guy. So it was a great job because... I was delivering mail all over the campus. I got to meet everybody. It was uh, it was really really a great way to start. So you worked in the mail room. That is like an iconic (laughs) first job, right? Cliché thing, right? No, it's
5: awesome. (laughs) And and so you worked in that. And I think that that building you're talking about, the one you uh, worked in, is no longer there. Yeah. Right. But it got you all over campus. And so did you work the entire time you were studying here?
6: Yeah, I did. I worked. uh, I took mostly night. Classes out at the airport, right? Because
5: at that time, them. our listeners would remember in the in the 80s and the 90s, the flight program was at Capital City that's right. Airport, right? That's, right. that's where we had that. So you were you were working here at the downtown campus, heading out to the airport to take classes. That's
6: right. That's right.
5: Yep. So um, did you start flying right when you right when you graduated?
6: I did. I I, I took a small internship with a school as mm-hmm. a flight instructor, and okay. two months later, I got offered a job in California. So packed up my little car and off to california i went so
5: so you were flying cargo and then also training pilots
6: yep training pilots out of burbank and uh, flew for a company called amflight back in those days the cargo was canceled checks you you, you probably remember checks everybody wrote checks and the, and the banks had to move them around physically So I had a route that was just nothing but mail bags full of checks, and I would fly to four airports every day and back to Burbank, and that was a year, year and a half of work for me.
5: I never even thought about it. Of course I know about checks, but it didn't occur to me that they had to get from bank to bank and place to place. So you literally were putting them in airplanes and flying them between
6: banks. Yep. You leave one airport, two bags would go off get to that airport, two bags would come on, and it was the same thing over and over. No
5: kidding. Wow, so you did that in California, but it sounds like you got some other non-aviation skills here at LCC that later came in handy out there in in California about the dot-com boom era, right? right. right. Tell me about that. What did you study having to do with computers here?
6: Well, I didn't really study. It was part of the job. So I worked over in business services. Mm -hmm. I started in the mailroom, and there was another group over there that did office supplies. Okay. So we delivered paper and pens and everything to every department here on the campus. And the system that the school used to handle the ordering and all of that internally was all done on an AS400. And of course with my mail job I got to know the guys over in the MIS department really well. Uh And uh, we were a part of a a team that was helping them write that software, and they were great. Part of my whole experience at LCC, these guys would just be like, hey, you're interested? Sit down, and I'll show you how to do this. Really? So I never took any formal classes here, uh, just as a part of the working in this environment, the – yeah, the opportunity was there to learn how to do things. It so, was incredible.
5: So I find this fascinating because colleges are amazing places to learn, and you can learn formally in a classroom where you're paying tuition, you're getting you're getting credits, and 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 working toward a degree. But what, what I'm hearing about your experience is your actual student employment, yeah. working with folks in um, administrative services and MIS, which would be what management information, information systems. Service, yeah. 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 Um, that, that what turned into a marketable skill for you working with these working oh. with this computer system
6: yeah well, that question I mean the I used to tell people I went on to get two other degrees and and you know I would always get in a conversation about LCC you know where's that mm-hmm. one of the great things about the school when I was here and I imagine it's the same now is that the the people that were teaching were practitioners they, right. they did this for a living mm-hmm. which I think in education I've learned is incredibly important so right. they were like in this story, the guy who ran the MIS department, the, he, he was passionate about what he did, and all I had to do was show an interest, and he was like, come on in. So after work, I would spend time there. He would give me a terminal. I, would, I was writing code, just not really goofing around, just learning. He loved it. And I learned a skill that actually turned into my career.
5: That is so cool. So the coding you did here, um, in, not as part of a class, but as part of your job, we used that software to get things done here yeah. at the college. Yeah, and, and because um, this is getting to be, um, you know, it's the principles are the same, but that was like a mainframe uh, system, right? Yeah. Very different than the kind of uh, PC environment that people are used to. Talk to me a little bit about what it was like to, you know, write code on one of those dumb terminals and um, <laughs> actually have something
6: happen. Well, you know, we, we, yeah, it was, that was part of the interest. It was fun because, <clears throat> like, like you said, we were actually trying to do something. Yeah. So here we were trying to figure out how to optimize the supplies that we had in our warehouse based on what people on the campus need. You know, who ordered canary paper? You know, what department ordered canary-color paper versus another one? So, so it was an interesting sort of intellectual challenge to write software that helped us figure that out so that we ordered the right amount so we had it on hand to get to the college and it it wasn't uh it, it was it was more of a experiment that was fun we were like we could make our jobs easier if we just do this and so it was an incredible incredible experience i, I love
5: picturing that and for and for our uh, the, the listeners who are younger than me and don't remember this kind of computing what rick what you're talking about is like just characters on a screen oh, right yeah. no pictures no. no drag and drop this is before any kind of, you know, Windows or Apple, this is a command line thing yeah. that you're doing, right? You're looking probably at a green screen or an orange screen and, and typing in letters and numbers.
6: Yeah, green green screen terminals on a, on a huge machine that sat here on campus. And you're right, it was before, you know, it was before the Internet. People, cell phones were around, people still had pagers. You know, it was kind of a, that era in technology. Mm-hmm. So super exciting, and um, you just... It, a person my age, at that time in my life, wouldn't have had access to that kind of an environment to do something real right. in a mainframe computer. And here it was just sort of like, come on in and do this. I mean, I found it to be, it, w- it was amazing, actually. That,
5: that is something that I think is different for community colleges in a, in a very positive way. I mean, it, a, a student who is showing interest like that at a large maybe research university wouldn't have that person sit you in front of a terminal and say, "Hey, see if you can write some code to to track that canary paper."
6: Right, that's right. So, so
5: when you when did it when did it occur to you that these were more uh, uh, that these were skills that might. allow you to fly in a different way, not flying the cargo, but but flying, you know, in the the software world.
6: You know, I told that story earlier when the friend of mine in California needed help. It was just, hey, I've done this before. So Mm -hmm. just get me in front of a terminal and I'll I'll know exactly what to do. So tell me
5: about that. What's that first uh, enterprise or or, or project that you worked on?
6: Uh, It was a sporting goods store uh, in California that Uh, they believed that they had some internal theft happening. And they were trying to write a program to see if they could determine what was happening. They had like 72 stores. So I said to him over lunch, I said, well, listen, everybody has to buy with their employee number and you're going to have all those transactions on your your mainframe. Mm -hmm. And why don't you go look at those patterns and see? He didn't know how to do that. So he put me in front of a terminal after lunch and said, show me how to do it. Literally, it was 10 lines of code. And out came a report, and it's, it's kind of a bad story, but a good story, they wound up terminating like 10 employees. Who- OK, so
5: you were able to write some code where they could find out where this yeah. loss was happening. That's right. Yeah, I mean, that's a bad story, but the good part of it is that you know this technology, this skill, allowed this business to solve the problem that it couldn't solve before. That's
6: right. The second part of that, just to be very quick, the second part of that was, hey, we're trying to rewrite some basic algorithms around our inventory management. And I remembered what we were doing here for the office. I said, listen, I've done a little of this before. So I got a week-long project that helped them predict demand and then create you know, the supply that they needed to in their stores, which for retailers, inventory is everything, right? It's where okay. all their money All right. But I had done it with pens and papers and all kinds of stuff here, paper clips here on campus. It was the same concept, and just it was total luck, to tell you the truth, that 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 opportunity presented itself, and I'd done a little bit of that here, and it just took off from there.
5: Well, you say luck. I hear what you're saying, but you know, one of the things that you said earlier is that as you were working as a student employee, there were folks who had jobs here at LCC who recognized in you some curiosity, some initiative, and drive to the point where they kind of grabbed you and said. Hey, work on this. Yeah, um, that's one of the things I love about institute. And by the way, stuff like that happens still at LCC. Not everybody who uh, is a teacher or imparts knowledge is necessarily a faculty member in the classroom. That's one of the things I love about our college. We have got great people. Who do all kinds of teaching, and what I'm hearing you say is there's this sort of informal curriculum or oh, yeah. something going on where you where you learned a lot just by being here.
6: There's no question. I mean, we had um, just a couple of names from the past. The yeah. guy the guy who ran the flight schools, he was the chief pilot. His name was Tom Crashin. Okay, I'll never forget Tom. He 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 was just a real human being. And the first you know when you're when you're new in that environment, you go out to the airport and there's airplanes everywhere. Right super welcoming guy and he was just a role model. And then I come down here and I work in business services and I get to meet, of course, the folks in the MIS department, but but your predecessor probably of two or three cycles, mm-hmm. Abel Sykes Jr. Yes, was Dr. There. Sykes, sure. And I was in his office uh, every day and he would say hello and quite often he would what's going on? How you know what what's happening over there? So he was it was just informal conversations, which I think shape probably helped shape my character more than I really recognize them uh-huh. but I certainly do now so it's yeah you, you you have faculty that's great you have administration people that you can you just have access to them in a smaller environment like LCC and it's uh, it's life-changing I mean I, it was really important for me
5: I, I like, love yeah. hearing that and by the way I have heard so many stories about Dr. Sykes and you know he has passed yep. uh, and, and his tenure here as president is getting to be a long time ago. But there's still a lot of great positive memories about what a warm and engaging person he was, how positive he was. And, of course, our library building, the teaching uh, Technology Learning Center, is, is named after him. Right. Uh, there's a great picture of him in the, in the lobby there. So, so LCC people had a big influence on you. Now, so you're, you're, you're working information technology, you're, you, you had your aviation career. You did go on to get other degrees. Where did, you, where did you study and what were the other degrees that you earned?
6: I studied computer science at uh, University of Phoenix. Mm-hmm. So another sort of non-traditional kind sure, of sure. Uh, university. Primarily online. Yeah. Yep, mm-hmm. Primarily online. And then I got my master's degree in software engineering at Golden Gate University, which was literally in a building right next to a building I worked uh, at in San Francisco. So it was perfect. I could work all day and go to school at night and
5: well, and that, that activity, I mean, we talk about the dot-com boom. My own sister, who's got an MBA, she, she went out to San Francisco with a buddy who did a startup. There was so much entrepreneurial activity, okay. uh, particularly as you know, the uh, information technology and software boomed, right? So you worked in that uh, sporting goods environment. Tell me a little bit about what where you went from there in in technology and software.
6: Yeah, most of it the early days revolved around retail. It was just sort of a, a, a skill I had, a domain I understood. Uh-huh. So I worked for a company called Cost Plus World Market. You probably probably have heard of them. now. Uh, Discovery Channel. Oh, I, okay. I worked for Discovery Channel. We did. We worked in the IT department way back in the early days of Discovery. You could watch a show and then it would say hey, call 1-800-DISCOVERY if you want to order the video. Okay. We wrote the software that allowed the, the agents to, to manage that in, those incoming calls and place the orders and get the videos shipped to your house. Okay. Um, yeah, so that's really kind of that, – that's how it started. It just sort of grew from there. The I took my first executive role uh, for Louis Vuitton out of Paris. They have a big division. They had a big division here in the U.S., which eventually we moved to Hong Kong. Okay, that started all my international travels. So I was their CIO, Chief Information Officer. Um, and yeah. so you
5: did that in Hong Kong. Did that in Hong Kong. Okay, and that was, and that's that is fashion apparel industry, right? But you. Or about a, probably a bigger brand than that, right? Yeah,
6: they have about, they have about 100 Tag Heuer watches to Dom Perignon and just about everything in between. Oh, okay.
5: So a huge international enterprise, big and brand. you're chief information officer for them uh, in Asia. Yeah. And then you worked in Europe as well.
6: I worked in Europe. After I after I had come back from Asia, I went to work for a company called Cisco Systems, a huge networking company. Uh, the sister company. I mentioned worked for Cisco oh, as well. A, yeah, definitely. Big, big company. <laughs> uh-huh. Uh, and I was running uh, services for them, so professional services, which were generally customers using our technology. We helped them get the most out of it. It's the best way to describe it. Mm-hmm. And they had a pretty big business in Europe, and the president of that group was retiring, so I got a chance to take my family overseas. It was supposed to be a two-year assignment. It turned into seven years, and my kids wound up going to school. You know, They were sixth grade, I think, when we moved, the, the youngest one. So they went right up through university uh, in Europe. Really?
5: Yeah. Right, so where were you living? What part of Europe? Uh, we lived in Brussels. Okay, yep. in
6: Belgium. All in right. Belgium,
5: yep. And and then uh, the is it the Blue Planet uh, opportunity that brought you back to the states?
6: No, I came. I was still with Cisco. They mm-hmm. repatriated me back to the states, and mm-hmm. then uh, I met the CEO of a company called Sienna, which is the parent company of Blue Planet. One of the best guys I've ever worked for in my entire career. His name's Gary Smith. He he and I happened to cross paths, and he said. You got to come over and do this for me. So, so
5: tell me a little bit about Blue Planet. What do you, what do you do there?
6: Well, it's a it's a s- small smallish company. We're just about a hundred and sixty million in revenue. Mm-hmm. Um, we write software for these large carriers around the world, mm-hmm. and, and I run everything from sales to to R and D. Fantastic, so, fantastic.
5: Yeah. Now, I do have a question for you. Do you when you you work with so many IT professionals in so many different uh, sectors? Have you have you bumped into other folks who had who got their start or have some kind of connection to community college? Have you have you have you found other folks who benefited from a community college like you have?
6: Yeah, a handful actually, a few that actually came through LCC. Believe it or not, I was at a conference in Las Vegas. Mm-hmm. Cisco is your sister, probably a huge company. It's a giant <laughs> company.
5: She she went there. The, uh, a company she worked for was acquired, you know, and yeah, yeah. that happened to a buddy of mine too, so That's right. So, so you met other LCC folks who were in that Cisco environment?
6: Yeah, I saw somebody at a, t- this is a local story, but his last name was Weber, which most people would pronounce as Weber, and uh-huh. I'm like, you gotta be from, you gotta be from around Michigan, uh-huh. turns out he went here, he went to school in Portland, just up the street from where I live, so yeah, I'd met a number of people, and we, I had a office in Austin, Texas for a while, and I bet half of our staff was going to a community college in Austin. It was just a really popular place for kids to come out of high school and learn a trade like software. Mm -hmm. You know, they, they, they viewed it as sort of a, a, a technical kind of path versus an academic path, and um, I had a number of employees out of a community college there.
5: Yeah, ACC is a good school, yeah. and Austin is a cool town. It's a cool town. Well, so so your your LCC experience has taken you all over the world. Is are there other are there other memories about being here uh, that you'd like to share? I know um, as a as a student employee. Uh, one of the perks was actually having a place to park. park right? Yeah. <laughs> tell me, tell me about what it was like to be a student here in the in the late 80s.
6: Yeah, you know, in the 80, 89, coming down here. Uh, I think the Gannon Parking Garage was just built. It was somewhere 76. around. The, it yeah, was built in 76.
5: Some, so it was relatively new. And
6: everything else was street parking. Mm-hmm. And there was a garage just up here on Capitol. But mm-hmm. it was always full. It was all the local businesses filled it up. And all the
5: state employees and everything. Yeah, a very busy time.
6: Yeah. And so as a as a student coming down here, um, if you didn't have a little, I'll never forget it. It was a little green parking pass that said LCC on it. You had to pay for parking. And it wasn't, you know, for, for a kid that wasn't trivial right so when i got my when i i started as a student aid employee here and then i got hired as a part-time and they handed me that parking pass i remember thinking oh this is life-changing special (laughs) you're special i'm gonna have a spot i can park in and yeah, it was uh, it was fun, and it was just a great environment to be to be down here. I love being downtown. Yeah,
5: yeah, I do too. I really do. So tell me, where the it sounds like you were busy, so maybe you weren't able to take part in many activities. But were there, uh, you know, extracurricular or outside of class activities you were able to uh, take part in, or were you always uh, heading out to the airport to get yeah. uh, flight time?
6: No, I was always headed to the airport after after work, but. I, I think one of the things I really loved about LCC was a big part of my social sort of experience as a kid was right here mm-hmm. in town. Uh, we talked about Dr. Sykes. I mean, he and I used to wind up in the gym together. Run, there was a there was this tiny lap in this gym, uh-huh. uh, and we wound up there before I'd go out to the campus. We just worked out on the same day. So I don't know. I just had a great... There were so many people here that I knew that this was sort of my social world. Working was out in the campus. Like uh-huh. I was... I was out all the time. So yeah, night, nighttime was school and daytime was here, going to lunch with people and hanging out with people on campus. It was it's something I'll never forget. It right. was a fantastic experience.
5: And coming from Fowler, Lansing's sort of the big city. It was. Yeah, definitely. yeah exactly. It
6: was.
5: And then, and then the world got a lot bigger for you, right? I mean, bigger. when you talk about all the places you've lived, all the experiences you've had, uh, LCC's taken you a lot of different places
6: yeah i'm <clears throat> I'm super proud of uh, what I accomplished here because it was more than you know I got a two year degree in aviation flight technology, but um you know I, at that time I knew all the board members of the school because I delivered their board packets, you know, this was before email, yeah, so I would have coffee with them in their house when I would deliver their packets. So back then it it didn't dawn on me, but the kind of exposure that I had was something that was really really special. And as I lived in different places around the world, like you said, a small little farming community to the big city of Lansing, mm-hmm. and then I'm in Hong Kong and Sydney, Australia and London, I felt like I was ready for that. Like it was, uh, I was confident when I left here. That's probably the most important thing because people treated me like I mattered. And uh that was super important.
5: Well, you did matter and you still do. And, and it's, it's really inspiring to hear about the things that you learned as a student employee. I mean, the, the, what you learned in your degree was important, but one of my big takeaways from our conversation is just by uh, working with folks who took an interest in you and were uh, confident in your ability to solve problems, that those were the skills that were, that led you to your further degrees and, and, and landed you in the corner office CEO uh, yeah. role uh, for, for a big tech firm. That's fantastic. Yeah. yeah. Well, I, Rick, I've really enjoyed our conversation. Thank you so much for coming on the show and all the best in your future endeavors wherever um, your skills take you flying in the future.
6: <laughs> I appreciate that. Thanks for having me. It's been fun. Yeah.
5: LCC Alumni Stories is recorded, engineered, and produced by me, Steve Robinson on LCC's downtown campus. The soundtrack, Who Told You, is licensed through DeWolf Music and was performed by Ian McCanty. Thanks for listening. Learn more about what our alumni have been up to at lccconnect.org. And if you're an LCC alum and want to share your story, send me an email at steve.robinson at lcc.edu. Until next time, keep learning. This is LCC Connect on WLNZ 89.7 FM. Featuring the faculty, staff,
0: students, and others that help to make Lansing's premier college what it is today. LCC Connect, Mid Michigan's connection to Lansing Community College. To find out more about our featured programs or to listen on demand, visit us at
3: lccconnect.org. LCC Connect. Voices. Vibes.
2: Vision. If you're considering returning to school, exploring career options, or needing support in life transitions, Lansing Community College has the Adult Resource Center available to qualified students. The Adult Resource Center staff provides one-on-one appointments, registration assistance, referrals to community and campus resources, tuition and childcare grants, academic advising, and other helpful tools to help with your educational career. To find out more information, visit lcc.edu and search Adult Resource Center.
4: We are the NFHS. That stands for the National Federation of State High School Associations. But really, what we stand for, together with the MHSAA, are the 292,000 high school sports students in Michigan. And so, we stand. We stand for the runners, soccer, and basketball players. We stand for their coaches, administrators, and officials. We stand for the swimmers, football players, and wrestlers. We stand for the golfers, softball, and volleyball players.
0: LCC Connect is looking for Lansing Community College students to vibe with us. Join us for the podcast power-up contest with the chance to host a podcast radio show on 89.7 FM. We'll be taking power-up submissions through the end of summer. Details at lcc.edu powerup.
1: The Lansing Community College Foundation provides scholarships that make education possible, change students' lives, and uplift our community. The foundation annually accepts scholarship applications from November through January. Learn more at lcc.edu scholarships. LCC.
3: Connect.
2: Voices.
3: Vibes.
2: Vision. Welcome to the Lansing. I'm Lucy Solis, and this is a program dedicated to the people of our city. I wanted to create a place for us to have authentic conversations about the inspired stories, opportunities, and resources available right here in our town. As someone who has spent a portion of my life in poverty, I was able to change my trajectory through the help and the resources available right here in our community. I am proof that when we unify, our city and its people can rise together. Well, welcome to The Lansing. I'm Lucy, and today in the studio, we have Mike McKessick from the Mikey23 Foundation. Welcome.
7: Thank you, thank you for having me.
2: So tell me a little bit about yourself and your background.
7: Well, my name is Michael McKessick, as I said. Um, I'm from the Lansing area, born and raised. Started the Mikey23 Foundation when my son, Michael, was murdered August first of 2015. And so what we tried to do with um, our foundation is try to teach our youth um, how to communicate. Um, not just uh, with the hammer, even though our motto is um, instead of picking up a gun to commit gun violence, pick up a hammer and build up your community. So we started a foundation named after my son, Michael. He was named after me, Michael, but we called him Mikey, and it was 23 when he he was murdered. So that's why it's called the Mikey 23 Foundation.
2: Wow, that's really powerful. So tell me a little bit, you mentioned the hammer. Um, Tell me a little bit about that.
7: So I'm a contractor for the city of Lansing. Uh-huh. And um, what I basically do is I I have a family construction company, which is called McKissick Construction. Mm-hmm. And my son, Michael, was working for the family construction company. He was very good at his hands. And so we, just start, we decided to start training our youth, um, not just our youth, but adults too, because we got an apprentice program too with 18 and over. And then we have a, a youth program from 9 to 16. Oh, that's wonderful. And so we, we teach them how to install windows, doors, um, siding, um, culture stone, concrete work, decks, uh, hanging cabinets, flooring, painting. And also, we teach them the electrical plumbing in HVAC. So they get their hands; they get to touch every part of the aspects of a house and what it's like to remodel a house and how to build a house also.
2: Wow. So I actually have had the opportunity to see one of the houses um, that you were working on and I've seen the kids. So how does one, how do you, how do you connect with the youth? How do you get them involved?
7: So when we started is, so we started the, the youth program years ago. Mm-hmm. And one of the things I've noticed about our youth, because even in my neighborhood, cause I stay on the South side of Lansing,
2: mm-hmm.
7: one of the things I've noticed that um, I come from an era that it takes a village to raise a child. I come from that era. Literally, I seen and and lived when neighbors seen me doing something I wasn't supposed to be doing, they put me in my place. My parents got home, they did the same thing. Our community has gotten away from that. Um, meaning that when we see kids walking in our neighborhood, we, we don't say hi to them. We just go about our business. We need to get a chance to get to know them. Mm-hmm. And so these kids come from when i started the mikey 23 foundation youth program um the kids came from all over and it's about word of mouth Mm -hmm. Um, we really don't advertise so to speak um, but it's about parents telling the next parents that my child is involved in this program my child is involved in this program or the kid will say you know i'm involved in mikey 23 program they have taught me x y and z we had last year we had one incident that happened i can't mention the child's name because they're underage but one particular incident happened. Um, one child was joined, wanted to join, the, well, his parents wanted him to join the Mikey 23 Foundation. He didn't want to do it during the summertime. And so his mother made him. So when he started, he loved it. So today, he's one of our top-notch students. Not just that, one kid, before, prior to him coming to Mikey 23, a kid was trying to pull him into um, gang activities, doing wrong. Mm-hmm. And so the kid that was trying to pull him in, the gentleman trying to do wrong, he's seen what his buddy was doing in the Mikey 23 Foundation. He asked his uncle, can I join the Mikey 23 Foundation? And so he also is one of our top-notch students today. You know, he got away from that lifestyle, um, doing wrong, and now he's he actually doing good in school, and we're very proud of the both of them. So it's... um. We always say if we can breathe on the next person on a positive note, then therefore it's, it gets contagious, and, and therefore they will always come to the Mikey 23 Foundation. And it's, it's, and it's not just about building and teaching them. It's about mentoring mm-hmm. and, and earning that trust amongst our youth.
2: And giving them a skill. It changing is. the yep. trajectory, like you said, they were in the gang life, and yes. then you change the trajectory to know that there's more out there. That's right. After that is fantastic. That's right. So you're in the community a lot. What does community service mean to you?
7: Giving back. Mm -hmm. So uh, my son, um, you really don't know what type of child you raise until somebody else come and tell you about your child because you see your child in the house all the time. But when they go about, you know, their daily life, you know, you don't know until somebody said, well, your child did this, X, Y, and Z. So I'm I'm bringing that up. It's only because Michael um, helped this elderly lady out one day. He met her at the grocery store.
5: Mm
7: -hmm. And she was ahead of him and she was short on money and Michael came out of his pocket to pay the balance of it and them two became friends but Michael never came back home and told his mother Now he never said mom look what I did so every two weeks he was bringing her groceries. he found out what she liked and never charged her so shortly after his about a week or so after his uh, funeral the lady found my wife and I said, you know, um, she came over to her house and one of her grandkids brought her over to the house and said, listen, thank you, for your, thank you for your son. This is what he did for me. And Michael never came home to did that. So community service, um, what we have done to the Mikey 23 Foundation, giving back, right? So we know that certain elder, elderlies need help in their homes. They're staying in their homes, right? And they can't afford the minor repairs, doors, windows and paint and things of that nature, well, or even more in the grass or even snow removal. So what we have started in the Mikey 23 Foundation, we have started a program that we're, especially this Fox is coming up. We're we're teaching them how to give back, even though we paid them um, to learn a trade. But that particular weekend, they have to get back. They don't get paid. So we're starting a program of helping elderly that can't afford to do minor repairs in their homes. So it will be actually next month when the kids will start for our program. And we have a elderly, uh, dis- uh, she's she's dis- disabled, mm-hmm. and she, we will be working on her house, and this will be our first time. So I told the parents that this is the, one of the criterias of signing up for Mikey 23, that we have to learn how to give back um, to our to our community and this is part of community service
2: yeah kind of like your son kind of started that trend right that's so wonderful that that had to just make your heart feel oh my gosh it made my heart beat when I heard that um so with the kids I'm thinking of the kids when I'm out in the community because I do a lot of community work how do we get the message to kids that want to be involved in something like this
7: so what you want to do um we go, we go speak to churches also too. Um, then we go to the Islamic centers and then, you know, we're trying to get out to the, all the other communities and a lot of kids, they knew, they may not want to attend college. Right. right. Which is fine. Mm-hmm. You know, I got a college degree in computer science, which is Cobol, ball, pesco, RPG, which is old ancient language that nobody even heard of. Um, but, I, learn, I love to work with my hands, and certain kids may wanna work with their hands, and they can make a good living out of it. And mm-hmm. some of them can make a good living out of it, more so than individuals who um, have a college degree. And therefore, getting into trades is a very positive thing because you get into trades or an apprentice program, you don't have to pay for none of that. You don't have no debt. You get paid to get trained. And so therefore, it's a win-win. It's a win-win for the, the kids. The parents that doesn't have to come out of pocket to pay a college fee and things mm-hmm. of this nature. So in order to get the word out for these youth, um, it's always about what we're doing now, talking about it now, through mm-hmm. um, this podcast and letting them know that this program is available if your child wants to get involved. And I'm talking about from young ladies into, into young men. And we also, this is our first year, we're teaming up with Lansing Promise also too. And what that basically looks like is that Um, the kids that wants to have um, go to school work the work study experience they can go half day at school and then come for the rest of the remaining time and come with the Mikey 23 foundation so we have three students sign up already this fall so um, matter of fact one just yesterday and her name is Elise and um, she's and she's and she's very I'm very smart you know very smart and um and she speaks three different languages too so kind of blew my mind that she does that but anyway and so this is our way of um, spreading the word out and we also we attended Lansing Lansing Eastern invited us prior to school starting to to present our program to the students, and that's where we met um, her from that particular um, event right there so these are about one of the ways of trying to reach out to our students
2: that's so awesome so it's co-ed yes, which it is. is very very it is. awesome it is so let me ask you a question so once they get into the what's the age first of all
7: they start off from nine years old or, um, well so there's two programs well there's three different programs total you have the apprentice program which is 18 and up they have to have a GED and um, 18 and up they can get an apprentice program Um, and then they have the youth program the youth program is um, generally during the summertime we had them on two days a week but now that the school has started we're we're only having them on weekends which is on Saturdays Um, but however we have which that that, that age group is from 9 to 16 Okay. OK, but the high schools on the ones that have work experience, they can only be in high school because of the works in Monday through Friday. They only can um, attend that from their ages as far as that which is a high school is from that in that regard.
2: So once so if you're in the nine to 16 program, once you're done with that, do they go to the 18 and up one?
7: That's, that's up to them. That's
2: that's up, up is to that them. like a continuation? Yeah, from Yeah, it, first is. Program? it okay. is.
7: So what is so we have summer? We have all four season program, which is summer, fall, winter. In spring, all four seasons that we go through, in um, this way it gets so. Like we have um, uh, ten students now mm-hmm. that has been with us ever since the beginning of last year, and so they they have learned how to framing, siding, um, um, HVAC. Now we're in the process of learning them, uh, teaching them um, electrical and plumbing, and so. The new new students that will come in will start from the beginning because we have to learn safety, right? Because the most important thing in construction is safety. So we teach them the safety parts of of construction. And then the next aspect is um, how to run power tools, right? And then the next thing, how to use a measuring tape, right? you got to know how to use a measuring tape because you cut all all the lumber. If I give you a number, you know, because lumber is expensive these days. And so we teach them all the basics. Then they advance to the other programs that we
2: have. And then once they finish all three programs, do they get a certificate?
7: They do. They do know. So when they complete, like we just had the summer, the spring program, mm-hmm. and that was installing Windows. And so they got a certificate on how to professionally install the window. Everybody said they can install the window, but I don't know if anybody's out there listening So if you're ever in the wintertime, you're sitting by a window, you feel that breeze come through the. By the window, that's because it it wasn't insulated around and it wasn't installed correctly, Um, and so therefore we teach them the correct way and how to install windows.
2: Oh, so mine weren't. That's why I put the tape, the (laughs) plastic around mine (laughs) in the winter time.
7: So
2: so that's awesome. So then, and then you work with the Lansing Promise, which is phenomenal because I've done a lot of work with Justin, who's awesome.
7: Yes, he is. Yes, he is.
2: So then, with the Lansing Promise, does that help them get into a program after high school? Yes. So if they want to go to like LCC or
7: or to our apprentice or program. Also, They okay. can go LCC also too, but they can get off into um, our apprentice program if they move want to move forward okay. with that because it's what they do ours is like three thousand hours, thirty five hundred hours that they gotta complete in order to get the okay. apprentice in, into our program. And this way it's a it's a win-win. And it's a win-win for the whole community too, mm-hmm. you know. It's you know, like Mikey twenty three, we literally take houses, you know, that and all the houses that we have worked on since we started Mikey twenty three, all of was on the demo list I mean that means that the city had them on the list and they was getting ready to tear them down because it was too much money or nobody wanted them and it was gonna they're gonna be torn down so we came um, Mikey 23 uh, come to a neighborhood like right we were work, working on now in Rundle um, we come through there and, and 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 take a house that it's a eyesore and, and make it so beautiful that the, the, the whole neighbors are really thankful that, that we're coming through to do that. And they, they're very helpful. The neighbors are very helpful. They they bring drinks and chips and, and they even take pictures of themselves uh-huh. or the kids. So we really appreciate it. So they're thankful the they fixing are. up that they house. Are. And they I think are.
2: that's the house
7: I, it is. I visited. It yeah, is. It one, is. Yeah. And it is. We are... Um, we are almost done with the outside because we're trying to get everything enclosed on the outside, so that we can really start working on the inside when the weather gets um, when the weather gets cold. So next week we'll be uh, learning how to pour a concrete driveway, and so okay. yeah, so they're gonna learn how to finish concrete, and because um, and we teach them all those trades. I mean, literally everything that has to do with construction. You know, we left we give them so they can put their hands on each, and then we teach them how to run a, a skid loader, which is a is the name for the bobcat or or some some machine like that we teach them how to uh, use that we taught them
2: tell uh, me about a bobcat what is a bobcat well cause it's a skid
7: loader <laughs> a skid loader basically it's like a um uh a backhoe you know if you've seen um so we driving around the city of lansing right, right. so we have so many roads that tore up right so we you see them yellow machines out there? Yes. That they're using. Yeah. Those they have different names. on. I mean, you have uh you have a front end loader, and then you have a, a skid loader, and then you have a bobcat. So they have all three of those machines when you're going around the city of Lansing and you know, on yellow big yellow machine, that's what those are.
2: And that's what you're teaching them. And, the that's, case and case. that's what that's we teach wonderful. Yeah, yeah,
7: we taught we taught eight of them last year and mm-hmm. how to run a skid loader. And that's a smaller version of a big machines that they got out there so that's a smaller version so just let your parents know out there we are it's all about safety so we make sure that this is we teach them about safety also too
2: speaking of safety um so do they take some type of safety class prior do. to this
7: do. so again everything's about um safety 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 you know we teach them about what would happen if this happens in you in the construction site step on a nail, um, anything like that. So we make sure, so we have the liability insurance also too, the Mikey 23, but we make sure that the parents have the medical insurance too. So the, we want to cover both aspects of it. And so we teach them that why, if you see a nail that's in a board that's sticking up, um, mm-hmm. we teach them that turn it over or bend it over so that the next person may not see it, right? Uh, we teach them to make sure you clean up your area first. You make sure your area is cleaned up because when you're stepping over something, you may accidentally trip over that. And we want to teach them that when, you, when you're when you running power equipment or any, any equipment like that, make sure you have s- safety glasses on Because it's easy, you can put your eye out. Mm -hmm. Um, We teach them, we give them, we we provide them all the boots, the safety gear, the say, you know, all the tools and things that we provide everything for them to 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 have to make sure they're safe and make sure that they're doing the job properly.
2: And that's all part of the program you provide all that because that that's it is probably means a lot to a lot of parents. It is part of it. Yeah, so
7: it's no cost to the parents. That's phenomenal. And we feed them too.
2: Oh, that's good. <laughs> so if the community wanted to support the Mikey 23 Foundation, how would they do that?
7: A lot of, a lot of parents and a lot of community people ask that question. Mm-hmm. And um, it ain't necessarily monetary to bring money. It, sometimes it can be bringing lunch, all right? Some um, people bring cookies and sweets and things of that nature. Um, you can, you know, certain things, if you think a child needs, um, if you want to say, well, I want to go to... Um, a place to buy them some boots or buy some gloves or buy a hat or buy a jack and, and things like that. You don't necessarily have to say, "Well, I'm gonna give you money to go purchase these I mean, You can go get them yourself. Um, so, but if you want to do monetary, you know, it's real simple. Um, you can log on to Mikey23Foundation.org and you can donate from that. And we we are a 501 and we're tax exempt, so that you can have that written off on your taxes if if someone chooses to want to do it that way. Or you can and you, or you can just volunteer, right? You can mm-hmm. come in. Parents can come, or or anyone can just come and volunteer.
2: Okay. Um, So the last question I have for you is, can you repeat the website again if people want to get more information on that? Yes.
7: That's M-I-K-E-Y, the number 23foundation.org. That's Mikey23foundation.org.
2: Well, thank you so much for joining us today and sharing this information on your foundation. We really, really appreciate all you do for the community. Seriously, it's it's so wonderful to see the kids. I've personally seen them, and I can't thank you enough for being a part of Lansing. All right.
7: Thank you for having me.
2: Thank you so much for taking time out of your day to listen to The Lansing. Music for The Lansing provided by Joystack. For more information, go to joystack.org. To listen to this episode and others on demand, visit lccconnect.org. If you have a story to share or would like to be a guest on the show, let me know. I'm Lucy, and thanks once again, Capital City. It means so much to me to have the support of our community. Remember, when unified, our city and its people can rise together.
0: This has been a presentation of LCC Connect, a weekly program that features the voices, vibes, and vision of Lansing Community College. All shows featured on LCC Connect are recorded at the WLNZ Studio, located on LCC's downtown campus. Each program is podcast-based and can be heard anytime at lccconnect.org. If you or someone you know would like to be a guest on one of our shows, connect with us by emailing lcc-connect at lcc.edu.